0: Hello and a warm welcome to Translate Stars Podcast, a podcast created by language professionals for language professionals.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Translate Stars Podcast with me, Helen, the country manager for Translastars.com. Today I'm really happy to be joined by Eva Kattenberg, a German user-centric localization specialist who is currently based in France. So a big welcome to you, Eva, and thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Um, so So could you just start by explaining to our listeners a little bit more about what an average working day looks like for you? Sure, no problem.
0: So as many freelancers would say, probably it's never exactly the same day, but that goes probably for many jobs, like even in-house jobs. Um, Usually I still try to have some sort of routine. So I avoid working on the weekends and still working kind of in normal office hours. So um, when I start in the morning, I usually start out with emails because um, I work with some long-term clients that send me stuff regularly every day. So when I get up, I check my email to see what I need to do during this day. Um, sort of also to build my to-do list. And um, yeah, then when I know what I need to do for the day, I start to get going with all of my tasks, which include usually something like email translations or if one of my clients is um, uh, launching a new product, it might be a website translation or some reviews because for one client, I mostly work as a reviewer. So I might do that or um, I also have a couple of calls with clients, maybe also a potential client. So it really depends on the day, but those are the sorts of uh, types of works I would do usually, I guess, Um, as well maybe some transcreations for titles, um, anything like that. The couple, the odd video here and there, (laughs) but this is rather a rare occasion, but yeah.
1: Okay, and I know you mentioned there that you try to stick to normal hours not work at the weekends
0: is that something
1: that's always possible or do you sometimes have to break your own rules there sometimes i have to break my rule um sometimes because i have lots of
0: things to do as many freelancers know sometimes there's lots of things and then it suddenly goes down and you have nothing at all it's either the one or the other (laughs) so if i'm in one of the very busy periods then sometimes i might work on the weekend especially if it's like a a long translation i really need to focus for a long time i even prefer the weekend because no one is sending me emails no one is sending me slack messages i'm not interrupted so i can really like focus deeply on this specific translation or even sometimes i might take like a half day off as i'm a freelancer i can so if i did that and there's something left over from the week i might squeeze it in on the weekend so i give myself some leeway on that but (laughs) In general, I try to stick to working hours in the week because most of my friends and family are not freelancers, so they don't work on the weekend. And to see them in non-corona times,
1: <laughs> yeah, I keep my weekend free. Yeah, and to try and not work 24-7. Yeah, no,
0: which no. Which is always
1: tempting, but sometimes you've just got to know when to stop. Yes, and especially I feel
0: like with the pandemic, I kind of fell into this hole at the end of last year to never stop working in the evening. Because I was like, oh what should I do? Like, there's nothing to do. Might as well continue work. <laughs> so now I try to, to not do that because, yeah, it's not good for mental
1: health. Yeah. So nowadays you're pretty much translating, localizing, reviewing on a daily basis. Um, but you actually studied business administration and economics. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Like, I'm, all of my study path has nothing to do
0: <laughs> with what I do today. But anyway, it still has something to do with it, which we will get into later, I think. So yeah, I I actually did a bachelor's degree in business, um, like in economics and business administration in Germany, um, where I'm from. Um, My specializations were marketing, I think, and IT or like business business informatics. I don't know if you say that like that in English, but it was like IT for business, basically. Okay. Um, I hated it. I did not like my bachelor's degree at all. Um, It was very, I think it was mostly the university and the people. It was very finance heavy and people were very, oh, I'm going to be an investment banker. I'm so chic. I'm like so rich, whatever. So the atmosphere was not the greatest. Um, But like the marketing and the IT um, modules, I really liked. So that gave me an indication for my master's degree. Um, I also then studied um, communications for the European Union in my master's degree, which also doesn't have much in common with my master's. <laughs> so my whole path was a bit, yeah, left to right to left to right. <laughs> and I love that. That was great. I did that in France, actually, where I live now. Um, and after that, I figured, oh, no, it's not what I want, want to do long term. I don't want to work in communications and like do social media, etc. for a company. So, I did um, another master's here in user experience design. So those are all of my <laughs> studies I did, which, yeah, they don't have much in common with what, what I do today. but yeah, very funny. Very
1: so why what was it that made you choose that degree? Was it just you did you not know what to study at that stage? And it seemed it seemed like kind of a a safe option or something that could be applied to a lot of a lot of different sectors or What was the thinking behind that yeah it was kind of a bit by chance so i actually started out studying
0: linguistics in my bachelor's degree for like the first semester and i had a business minor which i chose to like be more employable basically at the end of my bachelor's i didn't expect to like it but i just took it because well it's a good option right because linguistics what what will you do with linguistics And I started that out and I did not really like this bachelor's degree. I felt like the linguistics degree was super interesting, but I found myself not really motivated to study because um, there was no real um, job outcome at the end. I didn't really know what I was working towards. So I stopped that and didn't really know what to do and kind of by accident just continued studying business, which... In the end, I think it was a good decision because I learned a lot about just general life, um, lots of different um, um, topics like finance, economics, marketing, which helps me a lot today as a subject matter. But at the time it it was kind of random.
1: Yeah, and not very enjoyable by the sounds of things.
0: (laughs) No, like every semester I was like oh no I can't do it anymore I need to do something else but I didn't really know what else to
1: do so I just stuck with it and finished it as quickly as possible just to move on to something else. So how did you go from there to to where you are today then how did you break into kind of translation and localization? Yeah that's actually um,
0: completely by chance as well I would say so I always had this interest for languages as i told you I, I started studying linguistics because i really liked the theoretical part behind learning languages and how languages are built etc um i also studied abroad which i really liked um and had in general each semester i took some language courses like business french business english stuff like that which i really liked but um, i never thought about becoming a translator it just never came to my mind because i associated it with book translation and certificate translation and never thought about a connection between IT or business and languages. So um, yeah. And then when I finished all of my studies, I actually started as a freelancer in user experience design because that's what I was doing at the time. And I always wanted to go freelance. So I was like, okay, let's start with that. I already do that. So might as well do it as a freelancer but I knew I didn't want to do stay in this field, but I didn't know yet what else I I wanted to do. So I just started out and by accident, my first client was actually um, a user testing company. So they were working with user experience design and they translated their website into German and needed someone to review it that also knows user experience design very well. So someone that has the subject matter expertise and spoke German. So that was actually the perfect first client and it was with this client that I um, learned about localization, which I had never heard about before. And it was like, wow, this is perfect. It's IT, it's, um, it's kind of communications, it's websites, it's languages, it's cultural adaptation. I love cultures, I love languages. And yeah, it was kind of the click aha moment where I discovered this. Yeah, and then I started to shift.
1: <laughs> So perhaps if you hadn't found that client, then you wouldn't be where you are today.
0: <laughs> Most probably. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, God, what would I have done if I wouldn't have found this client? Such a, yeah, such random thing. But
1: <laughs> so it's yeah, great for me. So you don't have any kind of official translation master's degree or or any official qualifications with languages then? No, apart from like the, um,
0: the usual DAL certificate in Fran- in French or something like that, no, I haven't done any official training, no.
1: And has that posed a problem for you um, when you've been trying to find clients or maybe when you were first starting out and obviously that's the most difficult time for any freelancer when you don't have experience. Um, I know when I first started, all of the agencies wanted a copy of my of my master's degree. Um, so has that have you found that to be a problem along the way, or have you managed to to work your way through without any qualifications?
0: That's super interesting what you're saying, because I, I thought about this question and um, I didn't have any problems. I think like nobody ever asked for my um, degree or anything, but I think it's because I don't work with agencies. And um, yeah, so it's interesting that that you confirm that I never tried to play really for agencies, and maybe I couldn't because I don't have a translation degree. But I feel like direct clients were not too keen on on the official degree, so I felt like um, yeah, it, it was completely doable because of direct clients. Maybe I feel like they valued the subject matter expertise a lot more than the official translation degree, actually. So that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of at least in my experience now. I don't really get asked for it, um, mm. which mm. is which is interesting. I think when you're first starting out and you don't have any experience, that's kind of your your backup. Um, True. When anyone asks, well, why should we take you on as a translator? You can say, well, I have a master's in translation. True. Mm. As the years pass and you get more hands-on experience, then that's what they're interested in so I imagine you're at a stage now where like your Mm -hmm. your experience speaks for itself they don't need any qualifications
0: maybe yeah because it's true that for this first client they asked why I was a good person as a reviewer as I'm not like an official reviewer didn't study German or whatever and at the time I actually just sold my other work experience, but kind of adapted to this new client. So I told them, yeah, I worked at UX, which was good for them. Um, I told them I worked in journalism, which shows that I know how to write because I actually worked as a freelance journalist a couple of years in Germany um, next to my studies. So I think showing that I know how to write in German was actually maybe convincing enough to them. And I, I think it's also quite an important um, asset to have in general as a as a translator it's very important to know how to write well in your native language so i think this combination made up for the lack of a degree for direct clients probably not for agencies i don't think i would have been able to break into agencies but i don't know
1: i don't know i think i agree with what what you said about having the writing skills i think a lot of people confuse um bilingualism with being able to translate something well and actually having the writing skills in order to put together a piece of writing that flows. I think obviously you need the language skills, but the language skills on their own aren't enough. Um no. so yeah I can see that probably your your experience as a journalist probably stood you in really good stead for for getting clients on onto your books and mm and slowly yeah. building up yeah because in, of business.
0: In my journalism experiences, um, I did multiple internships and then I worked as a freelancer, as I said. So I got lots of feedback during the internships, especially uh, on my writing style, how to um, you know, make, make a nice sentence, how to make a nice intro to a text, etc., nice title. So I think that helped really a lot. Also, you got a lot of feedback on your um, uh on your spelling, on your grammar, et cetera, if you're um, forgetting about commas. So you learn quite a lot with this experience, I think. And even I was thinking about today uh, for video translations, I think it's helping because I did one internship where I also wrote text for like radio or video, which is a spoken text, which is very different from a written text, right? And I remember them telling me, use very short sentences, short and easy sentences, because everything that's very long sounds super unnatural in um like spoken out out loud and i still use this knowledge to this day when i'm translating for a tv ad for example i write very differently than for like a text for an email or something like that
1: yeah yeah it just goes to show that a, a, a translation masters doesn't give you all the skills that you actually need in order to be successful
0: yeah i think it does probably because most people go that route and it works But I feel like if you don't have it it's not necessarily you you can still get there with other experiences like writing or I also worked in communications which helped which helped me to know how to write a newsletter or a social media caption um, which helps a lot today when I translate those kinds of
1: contents so so if anyone out there is listening and they're considering taking a master's degree or they're trying to get into translation and they're not sure that a, a translation master's is for them. What advice would you give them? If they should do a, a master's or not? Or no, not sorry. I'll rephrase the question. I mean, if anyone's thinking that they want to break into the trans into the translation industry and they're not really that keen on hmm. on doing a master's degree, perhaps because of the financial investment or because. They feel like they maybe have other skills that could help them get into the sector Mm. what advice would you have for them i feel like it's
0: like with for every when you want to change from one industry into another or like one job into another the best thing is to look at your current skill set and check which skills might apply to your new dream job basically and i think that's what i did so i knew i had the subject matter expertise in business i.t ux etc So I knew, okay, maybe I need to try and find clients that value this content experience or this subject matter experience. Um, So I think for everyone else breaking into this industry, they could look at, do I have writing experience? Do I have specific subject matter experience that is very valuable to clients? Like I think not many people have such a big business knowledge or finance knowledge. So if you come from finance, you know finance really well and you speak two languages and you write, write well why not try finance translations or yeah if you have a lack of writing experience I think that's something you might be able to work on yourself as well so you could just start out and um, translate things on yourself and send them to a friend or a translator you found on LinkedIn and you pay them to review it maybe and give you feedback so I think there's always a way to do it on your own without going at the expensive route. And especially I think in the UK, it's expensive, right? Because in France and Germany, it was free. The master's degree.
1: Oh no, mine certainly wasn't. <laughs> <Not, doesn't. laughs> yeah,
0: it's not like this in every country. So, but even yeah. then you need to pay for your expenses when studying, right? You can't work, so that's, that's a cost.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you'd say then it's possible for anyone who wants to do it, obviously provided they've got the language skills and they're willing to put the time into, into breaking into the industry? I mean, any, anyone?
0: No, probably because not everyone is a good freelancer. Not everyone will be able to be a good writer, I guess. But if you're able to acquire those skills, then I think it's totally possible to do it without a, a master's degree. But I would probably advise to search for direct clients. And maybe I, for example, found my first direct clients on Upwork, which I think is a bit more open to beginners. I think on linkedin it might be difficult maybe to find someone off the bat like that but on upwork for like a small job for two hours something small like an email translation you might be able to find something and then work your way up from something small to something bigger so i think that's also very helpful
1: is upwork something that you still use or have you do you not need to advertise your services Mm -hmm. via that platform anymore I still use
0: it but I use it a lot less than like a year ago for example when I started out I really found all of my clients from there I would say and some of them still are my clients and are really good clients so there's this misconception or I don't know that on Upwork there's only bad paying horrible clients from I don't know where and they don't look for quality but just for a cheap price and it's true for the most part maybe but if you dig and you really read lots of offers, etc. You can find great clients. So I still use it sometimes when people find me on there, but it's becoming less and less. So I now find them mostly on LinkedIn. I'd say or from my network.
1: Okay, yeah, I'd heard the same about Upwork. That's why I was interested to know if you were still, if yeah. you were still using it because a couple of people have recommended it to me. Um, well, a couple of people recommended it to me when I was first starting out, um, mm. and I didn't end up using it for that reason because that was what i heard that the pay wasn't great or mm. people wanted a lot of work for very little money so I didn't yeah and i think you, you can find
0: lots of that on there but i try to really look at the offers so on this platform is you that looks at the offers because i know there's some other freelance platforms out there where they find you but you can't do anything yourself to find a project but on there you can like browse through different projects and I really look at the country where the client is from um because just knowing that the purchasing power is not the same in every country so a client from i don't know bangladesh might not be able to pay a rate for me living in a in a city like paris i just need to take a higher price because otherwise i'm not able to pay my rent here and i completely understand that they don't have the budget for me and it's completely fine but i just don't Um, apply for any projects that are in countries where you just know the purchasing power is not that great. But if I see Switzerland, Norway, um, UK, et cetera, then I know, okay, they probably are used to paying a little bit higher rates. And sometimes you can even see on the bottom right um, what their average hourly pay rate is. So if there's something like $6, I'm like, nope, bye. (laughs) But if it says something like 25 to 40, I'm like, okay,
1: I might try with a higher rate; they
0: might accept it. So, okay.
1: So you'd say it, it's worth giving it a try then, but just be cautious with the clients that you that you go for. Yes, I'd say so. And you you see you rather quickly if it's a good client or not. I feel like
0: the good ones really want an interview with you and a Zoom call to get to know you, etc. And they just they the bad ones maybe they just send you the work and that's it, and they never really communicate with you. So you can kind of with a bit of a time you can sort the bad from the good ones. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so just to finish off our interview today, um, are there any tools or apps or books that you couldn't live without on a day-to-day basis? Hmm.
0: Yeah, tools, I thought about two. So can I name two because it's I know you asked yes, for sure.
1: one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have one that is mostly for like project management, etc. cetera, um, it's called Shift. I found it rather recent quite recently and it's made for um though, no, like summarizing all of your email addresses and calendars into one app oh wow which is great because i have so many different clients so i have different email addresses with this those clients sometimes and i just couldn't live with all the open tabs so this tool is really great so you can integrate all of your different email addresses all your calendars from them into one basically and have it all in one place have all your project management tools in this place as well so you can connect it to asana to trello which is great so i love this tool and um, for transcreation localization i really like a german page i think it is called phrasen.com so it's phrasen which is like the plural for the german word phrase (laughs) um and it's super interesting because you can put on put in a word like let's say snow and then it shows you um proverbs with the word snow or like sayings or just like sentences that are very common in in the language okay. so it's really great if for example i have a transcreation of a title and yeah there's the word snow in it i just put in snow in german and it shows me lots of different sayings etc with the word snow and then i can adapt maybe the same to um use it in a transcreation for example so
1: So, do you find that that that, that tends to speed up your transcreation project
0: yes i think so because otherwise i would be there brainstorming for hours and thinking myself of potential sayings in german that use the word snow because if it was a, a saying in the english version then i would want to use a saying in the german version as well right so i would brainstorm and brainstorm and maybe i wouldn't find all of the possibilities but if i go on this page i just find everything in one go and then i can Try and switch those sentences that I found up to match the translation that I'm working on, which is a great, great tool. So yeah, recommend it to everyone. And I think they also have um maybe Swedish, Finnish. I think they have some Scandinavian languages too. Not sure for English, probably not. So also.
1: it spans quite a lot of languages then.
0: Yeah. But not, not all of the languages. I feel like it's mostly Scandinavian Germanic languages.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Well for all our German listeners out there, you can add a new tool to your to your list. Okay, Eva, well, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yes, for me too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye.